This week on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, we don our finest leather, or not leather, what the fuck leather. are you talking about? Our <laughs> 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 finest leather flame jackets. Leather flame jackets. <laughs> this week, <laughs> man, I, I really fucked myself up. <laughs> I just can't stop picturing him in a leather jacket, please. <laughs> <laughs> Seems weird. I'm picturing more like a bomber jacket with like the, the fuzz around the hood as yeah. well. <laughs> uh, it's almost better. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alright, we've loaded up on stuffing and this week we're just full of it. I mean, we're always full of it, but this time it's food that we're full of. Right. Instead of, um, well, we're also full of movies. There's so much happening. Yeah, well, you know, our claims earlier in the year that this was a kind of shit year didn't turn out to be so much the case. They just put them all in the I've, back half here. <laughs> I've been telling you they're saving them all more than any other year for just this last three months. Uh, it's I'm, very back heavy. I know, I know. I mean, even though I haven't gone out and seen many movies at all, the ones I have seen actually have press me quite a bit i'm i'm saying now that i like 2019 better than 2018 i like it there are highlights of 2018 but the back half of 2019 is really impressive oh yeah especially with uh i don't know i was i was kind of amazed the theater down here that i go to see they were screening at the same time uh the lighthouse parasite and the irishman all at the same time they're all running. That's a hell of a selection. Yeah, no, it's it was pretty incredible. I was like, you pick the like the three best films of the year and just screen them for like three weeks. That's that's wow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't get that kind of run very often. No, especially not in like a multiplex or anything. Especially this year where we've had empty weeks and we've just been sitting on, you know, we've been talking about. Well, like say Irishman for like four weeks because there's nothing else. Right, and and we gotta kind of make another quick mention of it now that it's out on Netflix, so all the people who didn't get a chance to see it in the theaters uh, can see it on their TVs or their phones if they want. God forbid. Yeah, um, watch it in five different breaks on your phone. <laughs> uh, I I don't really get it because people watch Strange Things for like nine hours straight, but yeah. won't watch Irishman. Well, but. Uh, you know, you guys do you. Oh, you see, actually, Cal was broken up, so you can watch the first part on your phone, and then you switch over and watch the next part on your TV, and then you go out and you walk in like twenty, you know, like like two hours into the screening, and you finish up that part, and then you walk out, and then when you go back home, you try and boot it up on an old uh, PlayStation Two hooked up to the internet, and that's how you I finish mean, it up. That seems that sounds like a good idea to me. That's the best way to view the Irishman, I believe. How was your Thanksgiving? I had, I had a good Thanksgiving. I had family come in, and uh, we watched the the Macy's Day Parade, and the dog show after, and that, that was about it. Yeah, we, <laughs> we went out to L.A. It was really nice, very chill. Um, we didn't get up to a whole lot, but uh, it was good being with family as always. I, I was sad that I did not find time to watch Charlie Brown Thanksgiving this year, which I usually <laughs> like to do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, we didn't even really watch football because it's it's all young oh. girls. So I mean, I did watch the game. I did. It was just stuff on. I watched the the Saints game, of course, because you know got lots of family down in New Orleans, and that was an exciting turnaround. Uh, just completely smashing the Falcons, suck at Atlanta. There was a, a Netflix Christmas romance that we watched the night before Christmas, like uh, like like with a K, K. and I, yeah. Was it was it any so, good? I I feel like that's the only thing you watch with your wife anymore is just these really shitty like Hallmark Christmas specials that come out like fifty times a year. Oh, I mean, we'll have plenty that I've watched with her today, but there's a uh, yeah, I watch a few of them. Yeah, it never seems to come out well. Like very few. I think <laughs> I think the only one that you seem to have genuinely enjoyed in a, recently is the the last year's one with Kurt Russell. Yeah, yeah, Christmas Chronicles is great. We did watch that as well on Christmas Day. That was fun to share with the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember watching that. I didn't think it was good, but Kurt Russell is good. So there's, there's yeah, that. Yeah, he is good. Um, 
Yeah, I, I guess it was it was all good. I, I got to go to that Alamo Draft House. So that was an interesting experience. The one in LA, that's really cool. Yeah, they had the downtown LA one. They had a big karaoke going on. I think they do themed rooms and all of them. Um, I don't know, it was fun to see. They had the little uh, DVD library for patrons. and Is it- People could rent stuff for free. Well, that's, that's really cool, especially having more uh, rental places around and such. You know, ever since you you came down to the one we have here and saw that place. Um, someday I'll go support Scarecrow, which you need to. is the largest independent one. I can't, uh, that's nice to have. I can't believe that you haven't gone there and checked out Scarecrow yet. Like, I, I feel like I, I had to tell you about it, or at least had to remind you that it was there, and you still haven't gone. But I guess you've got a good excuse as well, that it's, it's you're a little immobile at the moment. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, if I sound a little down or whatever, I, I just uh, a lot of stress. I have surgery tomorrow, and... Uh, coming back from the trip, there's just a lot going on there and balancing. Mm-hmm. Well, we do definitely wish you the the best there with your surgery, and uh, hopefully won't incapacitate you for too long, because God knows we couldn't run this place without you. We'll see, because it's like, a, what am I going to do when I'm when I'm off my feet? Oh, I'm going to watch more movies. Yeah. I'm going to contribute more to the site, probably. Thank God you're It'll not like a... Be a <laughs> I was going to say, thank God you're like a marathon runner or something. Like, you know, your life's not going to be, you know, uh, cut off too badly here without the use of your foot. No. <laughs> it, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really impact it at all. Oh, back to watching movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think it'll all be good stuff, though. Good to get out hiking again, get get my feet moving. Yes, but that'll be good. Uh, nobody likes my to... my hobbies know. back. Yeah, the the other hobbies, the not movie ones. Right. Uh <laughs> So uh, I've seen a ton of movies because of my immobility and uh, just the general award season, so uh, maybe we should start the show. Yeah. This week on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, we don our finest flame shirts as we check out Neighborhood Knives Out. Marriage Story, The Two Popes, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and Little Women. Take us to Flavortown, David. What do we got for our feature? This week we've cooked up something real special. John Favreau's 2014 film Chef, in which he stars in, about a food truck going all around the country. We got Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, and Dustin Hoffman as well. Boom. I, I don't know what else he says. <laughs> Boom is Emerald, or he, yeah. Or he did, bam. Yeah, bam. Bam is what he does. That's Emerald. Bam. That's, that's uh, what other what other personality chefs? Maybe we'll get into uh, this a little uh, bit later. Uh, idiot sandwich, you can yell idiot sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am an idiot sandwich. That's a good gift. Gordon Ramsay, yeah. I don't know. We should have got Alton Brown for this podcast. I wonder if he would have joined us. He likes movies. And, yeah, and um, Alton Brown's fun. I love Alton Brown. He's like Cutthroat Kitchen. Oh my god, I love Cutthroat Kitchen. Can we just do a podcast about Cutthroat Kitchen instead? Yeah, let's just drop Chef from here. Oh, we'll just cover the last season. I'm totally fine with that. I won't. That's definitely my favorite food gaming show. I watch a lot of those actually. Like it's just it's really easy to turn my brain off material. And he just came back. Oh yeah, he just came back with Good Eats as well. His new revival of that. Have you watched any of that? I haven't seen Good Eats, oh. but I watch like Ugly Food and um, I watch all the Ramsey shows, obviously. And. Mm-hmm. You should definitely check out Good Eats. It's really informative, and, you know, Alton's just a really fantastic personality. Of course, he also hosts, you know, uh, Iron Chef America, and that's been fun to go back and rewatch. I wish they would put more of the Food Network shows on streaming services. They only have, like, three or four seasons of anything on, like, Hulu, and that's basically it. Right. And I really want, like, all of it. And you can't buy them either. It's not like I could just, you know, throw down money to buy all the seasons, because not even all of them are available on DVD or whatever. So, right. Yeah, I want more. We should put more, like, game shows and reality television and talk show stuff on disc, or at least on the internet somewhere. It's it's really hard yeah, to hunt it- down. It should all be pretty available, but it's all so locked into rerun programs on yeah. those channels that uh, it's hard to get out of there. Well, the thing is, it's not like they don't have them. You know, we've had physical media for a long time. Why can't we release some of these? Uh, I, I'm, although I doubt like people are clamoring for like some of the old Johnny Carson shows or whatever. They don't want that on oh, yeah. DVD or something. Right. But yeah, it's it's so weird because it's so transient. The stuff that's on TV sometimes. Uh, 
And and you you want some of it. I mean, I wish some of it existed in a more final form. Yeah. No. I I hope sometime at least we'll get more of those. It's kind of hard to get your hands on, but at least the cooking shows. Damn it! I mean, they're so cathartic and you know just easy to watch. I just I just love watching them, and I want more of them. I think that's when I first found out about binge watching TV shows. Was I got into like a cooking show, and I think it was like a first Hell's Kitchen season or something. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and watched the whole season on Hulu, like before people said binging. It, you know, yeah, it's just super comfy. It's just super comfortable watching, and who doesn't like seeing food? And this thing, the weird thing is, like you'd think that watching food shows all the time would make you super hungry, but it, like it, it doesn't. And you kind of pick up some stuff on the way to to kind of, you know. In, increase that your flavor of food your life uh food your flavor town <laughs> appreciation yeah oh man that intro took us a few takes it did it did <laughs> uh hopefully you stick the the little bit of blooper at the end there that was that was pretty funny i'll, I'll have it in there somewhere good um, so i saw a, a few movies this week yes uh let's talk about movies instead of cooking shows <laughs> uh what's up I, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, uh, which is Mariel Heller's uh, uh, follow-up to last year's Can You Ever Forgive Me? Yes, which you also had high praises for. You you liked Can You Ever Forgive Me quite a lot. I thought she did so much, and I, you know, I was expecting, I like writerly stories about, you know, plagiarists especially, that's fun. Uh, I feel like that one had a lot to offer, and this following the same path has... um, it's a journalistic story. I know that Tom Hanks is on the poster, but I feel like he's a supporting actor to, um, uh, what's his name, Matthew Rise, who's from the American. We'll have a feature up on American this week as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this one's obviously been kind of the, the bigger discussion point uh, as of late, aside from, like, Irishman or whatever, but um, mm-hmm. obviously because Hanks was just, like, this perfect casting choice for Fred Rogers that everyone be uh, I, I don't know if I completely bought him based on the trailers. Like he still feels like Tom Hanks to me in the same way he felt like Tom Hanks instead of Walt Disney and Saving Mr. Banks. But ge- generally, he's just getting typecast as is now. Uh, he's going to be in the Bob Ross movie, I'm sure, whenever they get around to making that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's the nice, the nice guy that uh, everyone trusts. Uh, I mean, it's just so it's just an inevitability, uh, and I don't think I really read into it that much i think he looks like tom hanks playing mr rogers yeah that's it was, right. but that's what you sign up for when you you come there it's on the poster and everything you know you know that you're getting tom hanks and it's it's this spiritual inhabiting of the character i think that you're aiming for and not so much the the likeness nobody's gonna right nobody's gonna say holy shit it's fred rogers again i know i mean you wouldn't want that you wouldn't want it to be like where we go to do everything digitally and force them to look the same I, no. I i like the humanity of it being tom hanks yeah. and um i mean i don't know uh, there's a weird thing like mr rogers okay you're playing a republican that's not popular anymore uh, there's it's a different time for him um well it's also heller's uh, i mean rogers was a different kind of republican as well he's not the kind of you know yeah. political figure we associate with these people he, and his politics were like not much of a facet of his uh cultural personality yeah beyond it all coming from christian television yeah originally i think it's i think it's safe to say it was pretty disconnected right did you watch mr rogers neighborhood growing up oh yeah all the time yeah i loved it yeah i think a lot of uh people like like i think i i caught just at the right age i'm a little on the younger side of you there and so i saw a bit of it growing up i didn't watch it as religiously as others did i think your your age group there would have really grown up with it more and i caught the tail end and then people after me probably didn't see it at all but yeah i know I about him I, still. I haven't even i haven't even considered it being like an end <laughs> so i've been very happy the last couple of years with the documentary of course and this is very good as well i did watch the documentary uh won't you be my neighbor from that was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That the same the same guy who did that doc on Wells. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, they'll love me when I'm dead. Yeah, the. Yeah. Uh, Won't you be my neighbor though? That was a wonderful documentary. I'm glad I got to to watch that eventually last year, uh, in a very wonderful, informative uh, documentary about uh, Fred and the the neighborhood stuff and everything going on. Uh, how do you feel the film measured up to the doc? 
Sure. I mean, I think I prefer the doc. I think that's closer to uh, what what you think of. I I can't really replace that the other experience of looking around and realizing everyone was crying at the same time. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, th- I think this new one kind of will suffer from the fact that it came after. So for anyone who has seen the doc, it will feel probably a little derivative at least. Yeah, it's hard because these things tend to come at the same time when uh, when you know estates open up licenses and allow people kind of into the lives and they're trying to sell the story again. Um, uh, you could feel that there's like a movement around these things that always coordinate, uh, and uh, this feels like it. If it came before, it would have, of course, made a larger splash. But um, I'm so happy to see Mariel Heller getting a big boost and being in Oscar consideration. I think she's extremely talented and. Um, I think it shows a connection between his personal life and a little bit of darkness and what he believes and in his relationship with this Vogel, or this uh, uh, Vogel who's the journalist that he's uh, working with who wants to interview him for a fluff piece but uh, then it turns into a larger story about uh, you know family and, and learning from parents and, uh, and repairing those parts of your life it's, it's really beautiful Mm-hmm. It is nice seeing Mariel Heller specifically get attention for it. Uh, you know, she really deserves that, especially after, uh, especially the Oscar attention, because I know last year it was kind of a, a big thing that, you know, she did not get uh, any awards uh, attention for Can You Ever Forgive Me, despite the film being nominated for screenplay, I believe, yeah. and some other things. Uh, but yeah, because there were no female directors nominated last year, and it's not like there were plenty of great ones what a shame <laughs> yeah i mean more so than this year i think last year had a large presence of female directors that went unnoticed yeah uh, well especially with like year, I, lynn, lynn ramsey and such yeah yeah that one burnt pretty bad too uh, this year especially there's they're getting noticed at least and it feels like they're being uh you know sometimes you're rewarded the next year for what you didn't get right well hopefully the the academy wises up and nominates her this time uh did i did Richard E. Grant win last year? I no, he didn't. Should have. Yeah, no. Uh, can you ever forgive me? Just got nominations. It didn't win anything. What, okay. What did win last year? I can't remember. Last year was a, a, a Green Book. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> that's all you need to know to know how the Oscars went last year. <laughs> Green Book and Bo Rap won things. Uh, I don't remember anything else. Yeah, this is the Academy's chance to to win back favor. We'll see though. <laughs> um. Beyond that, I think uh, Knives Out is the big thing in the box office other than Frozen, which we've over-talked already. There's not much to say there. Yeah, go read Calvin's wonderful, wonderful review uh, as a love letter to his daughter there. that That's all you need to know to, to see it there. Uh, but Knives Out, yeah. So the more buzz it gets, the more I think I might actually have to trek out to a multiplex to go see it. <laughs> really? Maybe, I, maybe. I didn't. Ex- <laughs> I can never tell. Sometimes you have like the disproportionate response when something's too buzzed. Yeah, well, I don't feel like this is in the too buzz category yet. The no, it's not, and it's not getting like like uh, obnoxious praise. Is usually where that goes, where it's like where people hound you to see something or just like overly praise, like as some kind of masterwork or things like that. I feel like Knives Out is getting just praise. You know, it makes. Have you? Yeah. Have you seen High Life yet? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I will. I, uh, I know you were super high on it. Let's go back. Let's uh, rewind the tape here and listen to you praise it as the best film of 2019 back in April. And there's nothing was going to dethrone it. Well, nothing was going to be better than High Life. I mean, to be perfectly honest, at that point it was. Yeah. I mean, for at least like five or six months, it was the best film of 2019. It's funny because you were know. so sure that it was it was going to continue to be the best of 2019. You're like, oh, well, I've seen the best film of the year. Don't need to see anything else. <laughs> I thought it was fun because I got away with it last year with uh, You Will Ne... Uh, what was it called? You Were I, Never Really I, Here. You Will Never Forgive Me. You Were Never... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> you, you, just, you just put the two together. You homogenized them. Yeah. You Were Never Really Here. Yes. That's right. Yes. So, it was only your favorite I, movie of last year, Calvin. <laughs> and I had it up there for the entire year, so I thought I could repeat here. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just a testament to some of these other films that... High Life is bef- behind at least one of the ones we're going to talk about, I believe. Right. Well, also the fact that I don't think anyone else on the site likes High Life very much. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing I liked about it. It reminded me so much of Walking 
into the theater seeing Under the Skin and then waiting two years and then people caught up with it and were like this is the greatest movie that's been made in the last ten years and mm-hmm. I'm like yeah I know <laughs> yeah I was there <laughs> yeah <laughs> hipster Calvin um, I've been there for two years I know about it <laughs> I, it's just one of those immediate impressions where I know people will come back to High Life and find something there because there's something mm-hmm. I, I don't know how perfect it is but there's something great there perfect is a strong word. I think it's word. really flawed. <laughs> yeah, well, no. People will see how perfect it is. I think it's really flawed. <laughs> you, you, can't, a, you can't pick, have both, Calvin. you got to pick one there. <laughs> well, like in California, I went to this museum, and I was thinking about some of the abstract art and some of the visual art, and uh, most minimalistic art is really flawed. It's just like scratches on a board or something. And I look at High Life, and I thought of it the same way. Uh, it's stripped down. There's not much to it, and it's really flawed. Uh I mean, there's you know, there's really no getting around the idea of the fuck box being like a primary draw, which I think people could dismiss it easily for. That seemed like so. the biggest thing is that it was. It's not so much that the film was flawed, so much as uh, controversial and very uh, provocative in in lots of places, and it put off many people. Oh yeah, there's a lot of rape in High Life, which is you know, I I don't want to be like oh people have to enjoy this movie. Yeah, I, you probably shouldn't. Uh, nobody should really like High Life, but I love it. So, so what does that say about you? I know exactly. <laughs> um, so, how about that uh, marriage story? That looks pretty. Uh, have you heard anything about this? Um, I heard little. Isn't this this one is one of like the main films that uh, Adam Driver's in this month, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of the three that he's in this month, right? Yeah, there's, yeah. there's Star Wars, The Report, and Marriage Story. Not just this year, this month, he's just... Oh, yeah. okay, so this is the new Bombach film. Yeah, uh, it's really good. Netflix sent that beautiful package over, which hasn't swayed me at all, but uh, 10 out of 10, I'm gonna get divorced too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Netflix has been, uh, I think... Yeah, you know, a little, little while back, I was talking about how they need to do something to kind of uh, keep up with all the new streaming services, especially with the cost difference between the and all that, since you're paying, like, I don't know, like $16 or something if you want the best Netflix package. But especially considering how uh, overwhelmed we are with great films being produced by Netflix now, uh, I think I'm more reluctant in saying that they're in any kind of, any kind of danger. Yeah, I don't think so. Um I don't know what's on the slate next year. I, I wonder if we see how Irishman does at the Oscars and that determines the future. So, well, even on the uh, TV side, they've got like what they've got like The Witcher coming out that's getting significant praise. Yeah, that's this month as well. Oh, so my God, that's coming. this year? I thought that was later. Jesus Christ. I think it's late December. <laughs> so, I mean, everything's so packed in, though. Like, uh, I looked down their uh, award site, they have about 20 something films. Uh, Merit Strays should win Drive or something. I don't see any reason it's not going to. You you think it'll actually win something for Marriage Story? I think he really carries this movie in a way that, uh, I mean, I don't want to say nobody else. The actor category is so strong, but yeah. in a way that I don't think he ever has in a film. I think this is all him, and it's a showpiece for him. Best actor is is really strong this year between what like uh, De Niro and The Irishman and Pattinson and uh, Lighthouse. And I mean, this is even remember, you know, you can go back and listen. We were talking about Rocket Man being a good contender as well because yeah. we both love Rocket Man. Uh, but uh, I don't imagine Taron's going to win any awards for it now. <laughs> I still have Rocket Man in my actor category, but that's just because we're both really high on it, right? Oh. I don't think it has a shot. Rocket Man made you an Elton John fan, and I think that's something oh, yeah. that you know that can't be taken away now. That's worth something. No. I mean, I have uh, Egerton second after Pattinson. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, Marriage Story, that's uh, new and worth checking out from Noah Baumbach, one of our better independent filmmakers working today. Um, I really like Squid and the Whale, and I like Francis Hot. I think this is probably a third, or uh, maybe after Merowitz Story. I can't decide. It's probably tied with that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing to say is that when we have it's you know when you're talking like fourth best still, but they're all really great films. Yeah, right. <laughs> if they're nine and tens, it hardly matters. Right. Uh, what else do we still have more on the slate to talk about? We got too many films. Yes, right? we do. Yeah, <laughs> we have the two popes. Um, you would think that uh, Netflix were slowing down, but they have this incredible 
uh, incredibly strip scripted story about uh, the two popes. So you have Benedict and Francis, and um, exploring their relationship in the Catholic Church and the like shifting. Um, uh, all right, don't don't tell me too much because I haven't seen the one popes yet, so I don't want any spoilers no. for what happened there. Uh, have you seen Two Popes, One Cup? Uh, no, 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 I haven't heard out of this. Uh, it sounds naughty. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you would think it would be pretty dry, right? Like, I think like we, you were saying about Cundin, that this isn't something you're going to run to your theater for, right? No, I don't, I don't think it would be, um... Yeah, I, in fact, I don't know. I don't know anything about this one. I'm, I'm stalling as I look up the two popes. The yeah. two popes. I could tell you more about it. It's visually yeah. interesting. It has a great script exploring the trans transition from like a more conservative relationship to the church, where they kind of demonize homosexuals and the divorce to, uh, to a relationship where they're you know all inclusive and you know Francis has more of a. Uh, open personality that that's you know one guy doesn't want to be the pope but he is and the other guy um you know he it's just like a weird transition point that uh, ends up being really fun on film oh yeah and we anthony got hopkins is good i was gonna say two remarkable actors here anthony hopkins and jonathan price that's great Price is amazing yeah uh, he looks great and they're I, they're in their twilight years now oh yeah it's it's kind of like a two old man buddy comedy as well which is surprising i i just highly recommend it yeah well, and that's another netflix film so Good. yeah they're coming on strong like once i saw this i'm like well they have the year in the bag yeah really i mean <laughs> all right uh what else we got yeah got uh, then about. we have ugh, portrait of a lady on fire which is uh the neon film that should have been Francis' nomination, <laughs> but they went with Les Mis. So. Uh, I guess they thought that one might get more play because everyone in America knows what Les Mis is. But yeah, I mean, yeah, who's gonna come out and see this? The Academy is not gonna look over this, well, especially when you got. I mean, it's it's gonna be kind of hard for foreign category this year when you're going up against Parasite. Yeah, there's almost no point. Uh, so I think the point of it, if there is one, is that they had a black director, their first one that they put up for nomination uh, for Les Mis, so they went with that over you know something that they would typically do in France, which is this great art film uh, exploring you know uh, a painter's relationship with their subject and the truth. So it's I like cinema that looks at our perception and the truth of relationships. So uh, it's really fantastic and. Uh, I, I, there's so much to recommend it on. Uh, there's there's really nothing wrong with this movie at all. It's a shame that most people won't get to see it for quite some time. You were very lucky to catch it for screeners and such. Yeah, it it won't even be out till like midway through next month. So, or it looks like February fourteenth. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that's that's months away. So we'll come back to that in a few months, I suppose. Well, all right. Uh... Is there anything else we have before we need to move on to our feature <laughs> film? I'm sure there is. Yes, we have Little Women. Um, oh, man, there's so much right now. But uh, Little Women's the uh, Greta Gerwig film. It's kind of fun to have Bombac and Gerwig going against each other because uh, yeah, they're dating, right? Um, I'm not going to confirm that because I don't know off the top of my head, but I want to say yes. I want to say yeah. that sounds correct. It's fun to see them going up against each other because they're such different films. Well, uh, Bombax is interpersonal. This is more like celebratory and uh, extroverted. And you find uh, some of the fun that was in Frances Ha in there that uh, she explores really the idea of feminine, femininity through uh, um, one of the greatest stories ever written, I believe. Oh, I mean, um, it, it has lots of praise of course and it's you know little women's been adapted many 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 times over through various there were, uh, great there were eight yeah. of them on screen before this uh it's kind of crazy to consider i think the most <laughs> yeah i believe the most famous one might be the 1949 one but there might be one there's later the, that's more familiar there's the 94 one with the Winona Ryder that's very popular and starry as well. Oh, yeah, it's got lots of people that... Oh, shit, this one has uh, Susan Sarandon, uh, Kirsten Dunst, Claire Danes. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you're looking down the list of this one, you got like Cersei Rodin and Emma Watson, Timothy Chalamet, Florence Pugh, who's absolutely amazing. Um, Laura Dern is fantastic. Hmm. Uh, Bob Odenkirk, I didn't think was very good, but he's in it. Oh, people like Bob Odenkirk still. Better Call Saul. Yeah. Oh, Chris Cooper's in this one too. There's a lot of people here, of course. It's, a, it's a, yeah. another big ensemble film. There's lots of this. This year is the year of big ensemble movies. I think like between Parasite and Knives Out and Little Women, and I think you're don't forget Irishman and Once Upon a Time so in Hollywood fun. and yeah, yeah. They're having so much fun with ensembles, and they realize that just one actor isn't always enough. So. Not anymore, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Well, except for like, um, like, and then you got the hypothesis to that with the lighthouse. Yeah, yeah, where two is perfectly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, Little Women might be the first or second best one of eight. I don't know. <laughs> I I think it's a perfect Christmas movie. I want to rewatch it this week after surgery. Uh, I know my mom's a, a big fan of the author, and so I think that'll be a more telling way to see what what its qualities are oh, definitely. i think she knows the book a lot better than i do it definitely seems like a very good christmas movie this is something your mom is you know or anyone's mom rather is going to want to go see after you know christmas when there's nothing else to do uh this is going to kind of fill that need very very easily the primary note on it i'd give before we move on is how woke it is <laughs> i mean uh it has a i don't even want to say it's a bad revision because it's it's so interesting that uh she modernizes it but it really sounds like it comes from the novel's voice uh, i think she really has a place in her heart gerwig for this material it really shows that she is the author of the story and she tells more of like uh you know the character who is an author and she's writing these stories about women that don't exist at all in literature and how provocative and radical that is and in some way this is like a punk ass movie too it's really cool i i hope people check it out yeah all right, well, uh, let's dive in then to our feature film here. Uh, we wanted to talk about something food-related coming off of Thanksgiving here, and we've been meaning to talk about and revisit Chef. Which is uh, perfectly fine. Hey, thanks for coming <laughs> on the show today, man. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so, yeah, I think uh, the biggest takeaway we kind of both had here was that there's a little more problems with Chef than we originally thought, uh, which was interesting that we had very similar experiences, that we were kind of both bowled over and very endeared by this film on a first watch, but now this time we're like, oh, there's some weird things going on here. But still I still mean, enjoyable overall. The movie is good, and, and we, we want to talk about the good things, but I got a feeling we're going to weigh in on the bad more so. Well, I should start with... We should start with our primary experience. Last time I was also in California that I saw this, and it was probably the last film I saw with my mom, so it's fun to connect that with the last one, but uh, I think uh, I think it was the last film I saw with her in theater, so uh, that's, you know, that's a memorable experience, and you're always going to remember the last one that you do like that, so. Yeah, I, I had kind of a similar thing where I saw this with my family first as well, just happened to kind of put it on and whatnot, and my brother for a long time right out of high school was... Uh, going to culinary school and training to be a chef so this kind of had a personal connection with him there and all that and so that was kind of a nice thing to recognize and see and uh i also like john favreau a lot uh as a an actor and in some ways a director uh you know as of late he's less interesting but i've, I've liked him back since swingers swingers is a, a huge uh favorite of mine i love swingers <laughs> I, I think I like this initially because it was a turn to go toward swingers again, and I think it like foretold that something else was going to happen after this. Well, because it was very personal, like swingers was, is that there's a very yeah. clear allegory to Favreau's own life in the movie business, uh, you know, going on with Chef and trying to go back to some kind of independent work, like he did start out, starting out with stuff like Swingers with Doug Liman and such. Uh, I hope, and <laughs> I'm going to say Swingers a lot, so we should talk about that film eventually, too, on the podcast. <laughs> that would be fine. I, I like Swingers an awful lot, too, but, uh, I mean, after this, it was just a string of things I didn't really care about. Well, and, that, and that's kind of the weird thing that goes on with the... Because the meta-commentary, I have to say, is super obvious in Chef. It just, yeah. It's very on the nose, the parallel there that you're drawing, especially, like, the commentary of critics. It feels very 
cheap in some ways, which is odd because, like, I'm, I'm wondering if it's backlash against, like, cowboys and aliens or something. Like, I can't pinpoint exactly what Favreau is upset about critic-wise when he's poking <laughs> yeah. fun at that. Because I'm like, oh, it's not like you've had a bad career. You know, he had a huge launch with the Marvel movies with Iron Man 1 and 2. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's the backlash against cowboys and aliens. That's, that's what I'm going to say is what right. inspired the turnaround with Chef. Well, and so, and then it's kind of weird because the whole movie is basically about going back to your roots, doing the independent stuff, you know, making it for yourself and just making what you want to make. And then he does the Jungle Book right afterwards and just becomes Disney's go-to man for everything. He's executive <laughs> producing The Mandalorian as well as did the other live action for The Lion King and such. So I'm like, oh, what happened to that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's topical as well because we're mid-season on Mandalorian, which is a it's a good show. It's perfectly fine. But his episode was by far the weakest of it. Mm-hmm. It's, uh... I don't know. It's just, it's uh, an interesting turn after something like this. Because it seems to promise a change in direction for his career. <laughs> and then it just totally 180s. I mean, he hasn't produced a ton after this, right? Like, a. He made Chef and then became the Disney guy for no, the yeah. book. And then Two years. that kind of spun into Lion King, which are monumental technology projects, honestly, but that's all they are. Well, yeah, they're missing that creative voice that Chef still displays. Chef certainly displays an ambition for creative change, which is kind of what the character of uh, Carl, you know, kind of spouts about in the beginning there. Again, that's super obvious. You know, I need to be creative. I'm being stifled by the man. In this case, you know, the Hollywood is literally represented by the biggest star from the 60s and 70s, Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's funny because, uh, I mean, I, well, it's sort of self-mockery, isn't it? Because he pulls in stars from the Marvel movies, which are the big Hollywood people that he's talking about, I guess. Yeah, and it's weird, and they're so wasted. Uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s around for a scene, just doing kind of weird things. Between that, yes. seeing that again, and all the Doolittle trailers that are kind of all over the place, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have rescued Robert Downey Jr. after all. He's uh, not been very great outside of the Marvel stuff for like the past ten years or so. I don't know. I like the Sherlock Holmes movies, but I haven't revisited yeah, I them too. in a long time. Waiting for that third one still. I mean, I, I think he probably has it in him, and now that yeah. he's done, we uh, might see He's him not I... very exciting here. He's basically just there to give John Favreau a truck. That's his only scene. Calvin, you hear me? Ah, son of a bitch. Hey, you there? Oh, well. Just make a note on my edit here. We're at about 40 minutes in, and I want to do a little edit. Hello? There. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, 40 minutes. God damn it. Hello? Hey. Hey, there I went. Oh my god. What the hell? You turned into a robot and slowly your voice morphed out of the jet. <laughs> That's weird. Well, I've still been recording. You haven't stopped, right? No, it sounded like your soul was being sucked out through your body. and That's uh, odd. Alright, I finally got internet back. I got the message there. That was, that was dumb. Uh, I hope yeah. I don't have issues like that again. Uh, yeah, what else is dumb? Cowboys and aliens. Yeah, is that what we're jumping back in at? Cowboys and aliens. Yeah, I don't remember. You know, I saw Cowboys and aliens theaters, and when I, I must have been like a teenager still, and I remember yeah. liking it. But I don't know if I would now. You got Harrison Ford and Daniel Craig being cowboy. I would figure you like it. You like basically anything with cowboys in it. I mean, I thought I, I thought I was going to like it, and it seemed like a thing I would like. But then I, uh, I don't even think I ever finished it. I, I just don't care. Hmm, that's I means fair. It's weird. Anyway, so that's why he's uh, mad at critics. I guess that was my thesis there. Yeah. 
We were talking. I think that's probably fair, but I think we were at those Marvel actors being wasted. Yes, that's what we were. We were talking about that and Robert Downey Jr. Uh, not being as good as we thought he was outside but of. But then ScarJo has been just excellent since this. I mean, right after this, of course, she had. Uh, well, around the same time, she had Under the Skin. That which was is the amazing. same year, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting because she's. Uh, I think this, her role here in Chef, is emblematic of her wasted talents and typecasting as of late, which makes me very sad because we know how good of an actress Scarlett Johansson is, and yet she keeps ending up in these <laughs> projects just to look pretty. Yeah, this one's kind of sad, but uh, I mean, she plays, it's rare for women to get roles where I guess they're like the personal assistant of someone and they just have like a working relationship, so... At least it's not like a love interest deal, right? I mean, I mean, of, but... it it is kind of a love interest deal, and that's part of the gross part about it here. Specifically, I kind of noticed this time. I'm like, oh, this is kind of weird that John Favreau's made a male fantasy film where he can have two extremely attractive women yeah. pining <laughs> for his attention in a in a overtly sexual manner, based off of well, his <laughs> capabilities as a as a chef in this instance, which you can substitute for basically any skill here. Basically he's You know Yeah. You know what would happen if you were a schlubby chef? You would get the attention of a Sophia Vergara and Scarlett Johansson right away. Oh yeah, that's the weird thing is that like we don't want to make judgments obviously about what people are attracted to but like when you got like supermodel level people especially in the way <laughs> that they are uh portrayed the way they are shot i mean particularly it's, it's a are, very male gazy kind of way they're the women these are, shown are just here. two of the most beautiful women on the world like uh, just like in an objective sense and at the peak of their beauty i suppose so, uh, just having them in like a schlubbed out <laughs> john favreau movie where he goes back to basics and you know well, he and they find him real attractive it's just unbelievable oh it's just the thing as well where it's like and he's he's broken up with his ex-wife but they have just like the most incredible working relationship of, of <laughs> divorced people like unreasonably yeah. so to a point where they even they kind of get back at the end of the movie as well like it's like oh right. this is and it, it's very fantasy-esque and again i think the one scene that's really emblematic of it is where i mean scarlett johansson's barely in the film she's in the first act and that's like it and she gets dropped uh like just unceremoniously but there's yeah. at least one scene they made sure to stuff in there where she is posed like like a like a playboy model effectively slurping down this food that john favreau's cooked in a very sexual manner and it's it's kind of gross it's kind of gross i mean I think we have, like, a vague disagreement there. I mean, I think that's just how you use her, but I don't think it's productive either. I think that's an unfair way of using her. Again, like I said, I think she's been typecast into these situations and become this, this sex icon that is largely not used for her actual acting talents. Under the Skin yeah. obviously does it in an intentional and artistic uh, manner, and it makes yeah, sense to do Yeah, there's value in that. But, but, but here, we haven't seen anything like... Uh, uh, Lost in Translation, I guess, is another good example, but that was a long time ago. Uh, I mean, Marriage Story, obviously, which is next week, but or this week. Uh, her, her, I guess, was the best example where they don't sexualize no. her, right? Right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I guess Marriage Story is the best one because there's zero sexualization. Oh, that's good. She, she's in that. Yeah, yeah, she's the she's the main actress. She's is she the main? Control. She's the main actress in. How, yeah. how, how do we not cover this when we're going over... I don't know. I You'd think I'd talk about ScarJo all the time. In Marriage Story? That shows my self-restraint as a writer and a podcaster. There we go. Uh, yeah, I yeah, see it now. She has, a, she has a divorce haircut and everything. Oh, I see it now. Yeah, she doesn't look like her usual like bombshell yeah. self there. Oh, that's nice. No, it's, it's totally... I mean, even in Lost in Translation, you got the butt shot to open it, right? But, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, right. like I, was not, I was not trying to indicate that... Uh, Lost in Translation does not, like, weaponize Scarlett Johansson's sexuality, because it totally I, does, but it does it with purpose. It's really hard not to weaponize it, I think. I mean, I think it stands out in some way. Well, I, I think mean, she it, is a sexual person. I think it's just that we've typecast her as that, and we no longer yeah. allow her to. But also, maybe at the same time, she's typecasting herself, and this is what she's seeking out. I can't, By the way... I can't say. And it, she plays a Nazi in a... Oh, yeah. Rabbit, so well, well Nazis can be hot. I mean, there's, like, a whole... Like subsection of like sexploitation films about Nazis. 
Yeah, about German mothers, I'm sure. <laughs> I I don't think any of this applies here. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're talking about uh, chefs still, right? Right. <laughs> uh, how do you feel about food trucks? So, food trucks, let's actually talk, because this is, this is actually the real reason. We just want an excuse to tell our food truck story on the podcast, right? Yeah, sure. So, food trucks are a wonderful, wonderful thing, and they're the best place in the world for you to get any kind of food. Uh, restaurants, just they don't make good food as good as food trucks for some reason. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Every food truck is the most delicious thing you've ever had. And there's lots of them here in Portland. Uh, I would... I there's a, even the best food back where I used to live in a tiny island town. Uh, it was a food truck first, and then they made it into a restaurant. It's a, called Jumbo Burrito. It's a great Mexican food place. Oh, it has to be. Yeah. Yeah, delicious. But no, there's tons of food trucks here. Famously so, we have uh, a famous food truck area in Portland. It's just long lines of like a whole square of food trucks. Effectively, they're called a Cartopia. <clears throat> Man, that was such a that was such a great meal we had there. What did we have there? It yeah, so so I guess we should plug there. So when you came to visit me not so long ago, I took you to a place a little deeper into Portland, uh, a little food truck, a little circle there, and it's a place called Matt Mumiers was the name of the place, and it's a New Orleans style food truck, which fits in with the theme here with Chef because they have that whole bit where they go to the Big Easy and such, but they make uh, all kinds of stuff. They got jambalaya, they got uh, you know, beignets, of course, they make their own beignets there. But the big thing there, I probably wouldn't bother buying anything else because they make real, authentic muffaladas. And that so, shit is the best. I think we put, like, $20 down and got, like, the biggest muffalata I've ever seen. Well, so, that's the thing, is that that's how much a muffalata costs. Even if you go down to the quarter and buy a muffalata, it's a $20 sandwich. And it's, oh, yeah. And it's ham, and they have an olive salad in there. And, like, three different kinds of cheeses. And on this very specific bread. And the bread, actually, at Matt and Mamir's, they have to bring up from uh, New Orleans. They get it shipped here, made from... And so everything they make there at the food truck was authentic. You, for all intents and purposes, had a real New Orleans muffalata just constructed up here in the Northwest. And this is the only place that I've ever seen. And I've seen quite a lot of New Orleans, you know... Uh, southern restaurants but specifically new orleans themed ones around always trying to recapture my hometown uh, my home place there and this is the only place i've ever seen muffalata you can get in any kind of authentic sense it's nice because within this movie we also go back to new orleans and that's a huge food culture obviously yeah so i've always been really surprised that you were just into like peanut butter and jelly as a kid or whatever <laughs> that's, the, that's the dumbest thing is that i uh Especially because since my whole family's from New Orleans, it's like sacrilege that I ate growing up. I, I ate three things growing up. I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, buttered white rice, and cer and cereal. Those were the three things that things, I ate. <laughs> none of these things remind me of New Orleans, and no. I think it's such a great food culture that that I just I, I think you're more into food than you let on. You're always posting pictures of your food. Yeah, well, I, I like food. I still feel like I'm developing taste buds. Like, it's only in, like, the last year or two that I'm like, oh, you know what's really good? Onions. I should put onions in things, and that's what I've kind of done this year. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't eat onions, onions before now. <laughs> I mean, they're all, I just can't wait to see what you have in, like, five years. I mean, you'll have, you'll be eating lettuce. and Yeah. I Actually, it's funny. Yesterday, I went out for a burger, and I, and I decided, I was like, I'll keep the lettuce on this one this time. <laughs> usually i don't i don't like lettuce i don't know how you get there i don't know it's it's odd but i'm coming around my taste was finally developed and of course family has helped especially with all the food and everything um well that, and that's the weird thing as well was particularly with muffaladas as well is that muffaladas were also a recent thing when i was last in new orleans because i used to not like sliced ham too much unbelievable yeah I'm, i've always been more of a turkey person which kind of fits with uh thanksgiving okay. as well but uh i think it was always just like it's the kind of food you're kind of supplied with. So, like, uh, yeah, like when you get like packaged like uh, sandwich ham from like the grocery store or it's whatever, as opposed to actual yeah. ham, th you know, that's the difference there. That's why I didn't like ham before. Uh, yeah, I think you just haven't tried the good version of the things that you don't like. Well, so. same thing. Growing up, having like vegetables, like I'd get like 
broccoli out of the frozen bag that you throw in a <laughs> pot of boiling water. You don't even season yeah. it with anything else. It's just like, oh, have this limp broccoli. I'm like, yeah, uh, it's not real. No. Like, if you get I mean, actual vegetables, then it's like, oh, so th- it does taste good. <laughs> the funny thing for me has always been that you, you work in produce, right? Yeah, I work in a produce department, and... Uh, I'm I'm not exactly adept in everything. Even even lately, today I had, I had a lady come up and she asked me what you use a persimmon for, and I was like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to I had to kind of uh, look it up on my phone, and I had to cut the persimmon and hand it out and see if what it tasted like. It was good. Persimmon's good. Yeah. I mean that's good. I'm glad you're getting these experiences in the produce department. Occasionally, occasionally I have a sample. Uh, but not always. <laughs> not very uh, well equipped for my work. That's why I come here instead. You don't pay me I mean, much, but I'm more capable here. <laughs> right, I think so. Uh, foodie culture has always been a big deal, but especially around 2014, we were experiencing such a boom in the chef shows and the celebrity chef persona that was kind of dominating culture. So, especially social media, it was becoming a big deal. So, well, I social think media chef is, perfectly captures yeah. that. Social media is such a, a integral part of the film as well and i think chef does a fantastic job of uh incorporating it into the film in uh, ways other films don't really uh sometimes it's a little overbearing like maybe you know too yeah. much too many fluttering birds being sent off throughout the film uh, that's my favorite thing that it does <laughs> uh, well i i think i preferred like the the split screen stuff they have going on with stuff uh going on displaying the footage or the tweets that are being talked about yeah. while conversation is still going on as opposed to making the fluttering bird affects the subject of the frame at that moment i think the thing is that i got tired of that because at this time it was really novel but now i've seen 200 movies that do the you know the screen in the air the split screen and i i just it's it's gotten old i don't want to see it again i'm uh i like i like movies now that don't show me what's on the phone just, mm-hmm. it, you know, imply it in the movie instead. Oh, I think it worked really well for what was going on here. But sure. I, I get that as well, getting tired of it. Few films are able to incorporate social media in any convincing way. Uh, Chef did remind me that Vine is no longer around, which is sad. Yeah. <laughs> Although I saw the tweet today, watch uh, Irishman in 2000 Vines. Yeah. And it gave the time signatures. <laughs> <laughs> Vine was great. Sad it had to be shut, uh, gotten rid of her or whatnot. But, uh, uh, now we have tiktok yeah it's not a good substitute not at all i think you dance on there i I, I feel like a old dad sometimes i don't know it feels like the main thing like there was an actual like art form i'm going to say to vine like there was an actual craft to it and there are some still sometimes i'll go watch the best vine compilations because there's some hilarious shit in there it was a it was great while it lasted it's like flack Flash fiction is to story writing. That's what Vine was to YouTube. Like those seven, nine-second clips or something. Yeah, I don't remember the exact time length. I feel like it was longer than that, but okay, nine seconds feels short. Yeah. But who knows? <laughs> I was never on the Vine really. I, I mean, I watched some. I mostly watch those compilations though. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. Um, I was gonna say we kind of we kind of skipped over it briefly in the film because I didn't get a talk about... I talked about New Orleans a bit food-wise, but I didn't talk about how they exhibited it in the film. Yeah. Which is a favorite thing for me. Uh, I know you can relate to this especially, but there's something really special about seeing places that you've been to and lived in in the movies. That's something that's uh, that's really invigorating, I think. And New Orleans is such a very special place for me because it's it's very much linked to childhood memories as well as just uh, bastions of culture and such. And specifically, seeing them like just in the sequences walking around the French Market, I light up because I'm like I've I've been there and I know that place and it's it's such a familiar thing to me. And of course, it's something I think like I said you relate to because you basically just fall in love with any film that so much as mentions the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see that it's sort of a rejection of the Los Angeles culture that he was sort of denying himself at the time. Yeah, uh, he fly he gets out to Miami and then goes down the uh, down to the Southwest. It gets through Texas and uh, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the real strength of Chef. We you know we shit on it a lot in the front and back ends there, but when it dives into the culture of food and representing the people 
who make this food and where it comes from. Uh, I especially love like additions as well, like when you're in the Miami sections and they have a really bombastic uh, Latin soundtrack going throughout those scenes, and it really brings that to life and it reminds you of where this all comes from. I think it's really good at queuing up sound with location and food. Uh, mm-hmm. Those three things paired together, it's really exceptional. If it's exceptional at anything, there's even that great bit, and uh, I mean, I'm not even mad really that the film like kind of explicitly points out specific things. Like I said, like Twitter or like in New Orleans, they go not just to get beignets, but they go to get the beignets from the Cafe du Monde, and they show the guys yeah. making them on the line and tossing them behind them and throwing them in the fryer, which is like this thing you, you got to do if you're ever in the the French Quarter. You got to go down there. And see these guys go make beignets through the window and, and eat them because they're delicious sugary treats. And they're just oh, yeah. th- this wonderful pillowy dough all fried and delicious. If you've never had a beignet, you're not living life, man. <laughs> I think I've had one. Um, you, not, you got to. Not in New Orleans. Oh, Probably yeah. Probably in France or something. You got to go. On, <laughs> and that's the thing as well is that I, got, I give credit for is he, he talks about... Favreau's character talks about New Orleans and like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, it's not the same if you haven't had the food there. It's like on a whole level. level. Yeah. And it's it's totally true. It's 100% true is that food there is it's just even better than where you've had it otherwise. You know, well, I, I always think like culinary stuff, of course, we have great cities with food, but uh, I appreciate more of the dining scene in like, let's say like France or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but food truck is purely American and Southern culture. Well, and I think that's the thing is that, and that's what ties back in with the culture aspect specifically. It's not necessarily that the food is made better in one location. It's that the atmosphere and the authenticity of it by having it in that place increases the enjoyment factor tenfold. I mean, <laughs> there's a point where he calls a sandwich in Austin midnight. And of course it's like selling out around the block. But if I were from here and I saw that, I wouldn't buy it. Cause who the, you know, who the fuck knows what, what that is unless you live there, right? Well, that's kind of the weird thing as well I noticed with, like, the food truck if you watch the board and everything. Like, because it's still a, like, a, that, that Cuban-themed truck. You know, it's, it's still right. called El Jefe. The Cubano. And, yeah, that's yeah. their main thing. But then they, they pick up place, things along the way. They have the the food from Austin, the, the barbecue there. But they also have beignets they bring along with them. They start putting beignets on their board. And I'm like... Right. <laughs> These don't really go together. That's really weird. Why would you serve beignets and cumanos? <laughs> it did freak me out, though, that everyone got in line for something called an Austin Midnight, because I still have no idea what that means. Yeah, well, I guess you'll have to try one for yourself to know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure this is all authentic, too, like an, an experience. But, of course, out here it's all Asian food and uh, some good Mexican trucks. Uh, I have a good Thai, uh, a stationary tie truck that's nearby my place but that's really the only one in west seattle i could think of there's not really a a seattle food so much though though we do like our seafood up here yeah we have a lot of great fish scenes and there's a good culinary scene i'd say there's a lot of good chefs in seattle of course right i just think there's not like like salmon i guess is what we associate with the pacific northwest most salmon is Mm. our best thing and of course uh my favorite my favorite dish up here is uh clam chowder Clam chowder is yeah. his kind of signature. That's what I did for... I took my fiancé out for anniversary. We went to the Oregon coast and just tried a bunch of clam chowder places. That's all we ate for, like, two days. <laughs> Which how, was, how does it feel being on a two-day clam chowder diet, though? You know, it was great with the first two stops, but then eventually, like, I I, I had to call it quits and I had to do something else because I'm like, ah, uh, this is not working and I'm, I'm getting a little sick from the too yeah. many clam chowders. Especially After because, your... After your third picture you sent to us, I was thinking, oh man, he's going to pay for this. I had ten places planned out originally, and I didn't even go to half of them because it just, I was like, <laughs> oh, I got to abort. This is not good. But luckily, I hit the best place first. Like that one, the kind of tucked away place. And this is the thing is that the best food is always going to be hidden away. It's never. Yeah. And, and that was what I found with the clam chowder as well is that the fancy restaurants where you sit down, you get an order from a waiter and a nice outfit and everything. That wasn't good clam chowder. There was some nope. sand still in the clams I could taste. It was a little gritty. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I feel that about food trucks too. I guess like within the last couple of weeks, I went to the uh, Nordic Museum where we got married earlier this year. Uh, I had my Seattle dog, which I'm always selling people on. 
which I discovered at a food truck, that you just put cream cheese in a hot dog makes it perfect. Yeah, that's that's something that Jesse lambasted you about a little bit on the Halloween podcast, putting cream cheese and such on it. <laughs> he did. Graham and Jesse are really at my throat about this, just because they haven't tried it and they don't know good food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over on the East Coast there. That's the other thing. Talk about chowder as well. You know those Manhattan clam chowders where they use tomato base instead? Oh, yeah. Yeah, fuck that. We want our... Uh, our New England clam chowder. That's th- that's the only chowder I care about. Yeah, yeah, it's the only one that matters. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's what really saves uh, Chef is capturing that authenticity. You can see here now how it brings out our love for food and the cultures, you know, kind of surrounding them and whatnot, and that that bring them forth. Uh, and how it really makes us want to talk about anything but the movie. <laughs> Well, I think there's uh, there's always so much to say uh, sometimes. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think Chef is pretty straightforward. I think I think we've covered it as uh, good, well, authentic music and food. Yeah, well, the, the, the uh, big thing I, we both walked away feeling was kind of like we noticed the flaws way more this time than what brought us to the film in the first place. Kind of the weird structural issues, its obviousness, uh, some of the weird sexual stuff and character positioning. But again, once it gets to the food truck and it becomes about representing the food more and displaying uh, the, the social media and specifically the relationship with the kid, which we neglected to talk about at all. John Favreau's, you know, recovering his relationship with this kid here through food. Uh-huh. It works. It's good. It's fine. Yeah. It's it, you're really there to see some really great food pr- pornography, I think. They do a really good yeah. job of shooting food throughout and it makes it look really delicious and exhibiting the culture, I think. That's that's where the film truly excels, I feel like, by hitting those Weirdly. three specific places <laughs> and showing them off in a very, you know, uh, wonderful way. Weirdly, especially in the restaurant, they get to really technique and show you what food's all about. I mean, uh, obviously the food truck food is a lot simpler, so there's not as much to show, but uh, some of the restaurant stuff looked really great. I did think it was kind of, did this bug you at all, that, that there's probably some uh, legal repercussions for having a kid working in a food truck? I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. So. I don't think that's allowed. There's even a moment in the film where there, where the guy comes up and asking about the permit and everything that the cop, and then they do the photo shoot with the cop. Right. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't say anything about the kid there as well. That seems like something that shouldn't be allowed, especially with how confined food trucks are spaces. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I feel like I know a couple of restaurants out here. I won't give their names, of course, but where there's where there's kids working. Maybe it's okay if it's your kids and they just are hanging out there in yeah clubs. there's there's probably some family business law or something that allows that kind of thing i don't know i mean i know of at least two food trucks that are like that but of course i won't say all right well i, I believe you on that so i'll take that off as a problem with the movie no longer bothers me uh but i ah uh, shit it doesn't I'm, mean you're not right either so i right. won't i won't say for sure I totally almost forgot. We talked about everybody else in this movie, but we didn't talk about how goddamn great John Linguizamo is. Really saves the movie once he's a big part of it. Oh, he totally does. He's just beaming with charisma, and he's got great play with uh, John Favreau. He's just highly entertaining, and I want more of him. Like, even... I even mm. think about it. Sometimes he was the best thing in, like, the John Wick movies, those first couple scenes he had in the first two yeah. films. I loved him in those, and I was sad he wasn't in the third one. That's part of the reason why and, I didn't like it as much. And the Super Mario Bros. movie. Yeah, Luigi Mario. Yeah. Pretty good. Now, I like John Leguizamo a lot. I wish he would get more attention. And this was a really great display of his talents. He was he was amazingly great here. And like I said, he's part of the reason why that middle section of the film is actually really strong. It really does lift up once he's in it. Yeah. And I think, he, I, think I liked what you said, that he brings uh, more authenticity and believability to the uh, culture of the food. So it's not just appropriation. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing is that it would feel a little appropriating if if you just had John Favreau, big white guy, right. and his son making you know authentic you know quote unquote you know Cubanos and uh, you know the food there. Uh, so his Latin presence in the film really kind of gives a little bit more credibility to that. Yeah, um, yeah, I feel good about it. Uh, I I'm happy this week because the new films are better than our feature, which rarely happens. Yeah, uh, we don't. We typically talk about superb classics and all-time great films, or, you know, maybe something new when I eventually go out to see it in theaters. Uh, rarely do we talk about something 
enjoyable and good, but maybe not particularly excellent. I don't know. Uh, how do you feel about this in in Favreau's uh, oeuvre overall? <laughs> um, I mean, somewhere in the middle, I suppose. <laughs> better than Lion King. Better than Lion King? Uh, is it better than Jungle Book as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh. <laughs> you sound hesitant on that. Uh, that's the thing as well, is that Favreau's not exactly an outstanding director. I don't think so. Um, but I admire him a lot uh, as I mean, as a person, I guess. I guess I'd say, yeah, what would you say? Probably like Iron Man, Iron Man 2 Chef would probably be three. Or Swingers above all those, I guess. Well, so he, he actually uh, didn't direct Swingers. He only wrote oh, he it. Didn't. Doug yeah, Liman yeah, directed okay. it, and that kind of helped launch his career as well. But, okay. um... But yeah, particularly like he's got like the Iron Man films, these last two Disney live action films. We mentioned Cowboys and Aliens. Uh, he did Zathura. That's right. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah, uh, to me, this one kind of stands out as the the top of the heap. There, uh, I feel like Chef? it has. Yeah, I feel like it has something more to say, and it feels more personal, even with its flaws. I like it better than even like Iron than Man. Elf. Than what? You like it better than Elf? Elf? Ah, oh, shit. I forgot about Elf. Yeah, maybe not as Elf. Elf is a, is a <laughs> holiday classic. The only one I can think of, really, that, that has really stood out to me. Despite... I forgot we watched it last week as well. So I Did you? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I like it. Uh, I think anyone who has a problem with it uh, doesn't like Will Ferrell to begin with, so that there's your, right. your issue with that. Otherwise, it's really wholesome and great and creative. I think it's an original take for a Christmas classic and... Who doesn't love James Can? James Can is fucking great. I like Chef, that guy. Chef, we should have talked about Elf. That should be the tagline for our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> maybe next year Elf will be like our Christmas movie. Maybe. We've got uh, something else for Christmas lined up this year, which which I'm excited to talk about, but I don't I don't want to say till we get there. I think it's no, going to be fun. I, I just want people to come for Irishman and all of Scorsese's movies next week. Worry yeah. about that afterwards. That's the big thing to look forward to. We're covering all of Scorsese. Man, is that going to be an undertaking. After we rank all of John Favreau, which is also equally important. Yeah, so so Elf, and then Chef, or maybe Iron Man. Yeah, and then I let's guess go I'll, Elf, Chef, Iron uh, Man. Iron Man 2? Uh, let's, yeah. Then Jungle Book. I, I I like Iron Man two all right, from what I remember. People like shit on yeah. it. Yeah, it's yeah. good. I, all three are fine with me. I like Iron Man. All right, and then you say Jungle Book. Yeah. Then uh, is is Lion King better than Cowboys and Aliens or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd say it's better. Then Cowboys and Aliens, and then I'll just throw Zathura and Maid at the bottom because I don't think I saw them. So is Maid. It looks like it's Swingers 2 or something. It, it does kind of look that way, doesn't it? I think it's it's about uh, boxers. They're, they're aspiring yeah. boxers. Uh, I, you know, it's funny. I own a DVD copy of it. I just haven't watched it. Uh, we kind of we, we bought it shortly after we saw Swingers because they're like, hey, it looks like exactly like Swingers, and I just didn't get around to it. Yeah, it looks it looks pretty close. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, this was fun anyway. Uh, we'll be yeah. back next week with the big one. Yes, uh, maybe not quite as patented down as our impromptu Favreau ranking here, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for doing this with me. Uh, I'm glad that we still enjoyed Chef enough to talk about it, and we get to tell some of our favorite food stories. That was yeah, fun. it was good stuff. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Yeah, I'll get you another muffalata next time you're here. <laughs>